Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, adulting well listeners. This is Pepper, a.k.a. Joshua, a.k.a. Pepper, here to tell you about Anchor. So we used to host our podcast on another service, and we had this show for maybe three or four years at this point. And we got some metrics and things, but we didn't have a lot to do with them. And we recently switched over to Anchor. And what's amazing about it is it has all the metrics for the show. So you can see, you know, how many downloads you get and things like that. But it it also lets you engage with the audience uh, in ways that our old service couldn't. So, for instance, we can have polls. We can ask listeners to uh, leave us messages and questions and things like that. And we can uh, put them on the air super easily and answer those questions. Just uh, That's just one example, but there are just a lot of different ways that we can um, engage with you now that we're using Anchor. So uh, this is our first ad, and it's for this service that we're using to provide this podcast to you. And I think it's uh, actually a really, really good service. Um, and if you have a podcast, I recommend it. You can download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Uh, thanks for, uh, pausing with me for a second. Now back to the episode. I have a present. It is the present. You have to, to learn to find it within you. If you can learn to love it, you just might like it. You can live without it. There's a million open windows I'm passing these open windows Passing these open windows Hello and welcome to the Adulting Well Podcast uh, episode... We don't know. We don't know. I am your co-host Joshua and I am joined as always by... Your co-host Kevin and... As per normal, I'm really excited. Our guest tonight is Emily Flake, cartoonist, comedian, mom, all-around awesome person, and uh, we're just excited to talk about a lot of stuff. So I will let Joshua kick it off with his normal first question, and we'll get this thing rolling. Is that my thing now? Yeah. That's just my thing I do? That's his thing. Just because I did it twice? I love it. Uh, were you, you were a punky kid, right? I was. I was a punky kid. How, so, yeah, I, I guess I have been asking everyone. So, like, I always right. wonder about when I was in high school and I was kind of, I was a freshman, I think, and I didn't, I was pretty lost. And I finally found, like, I saw a bench with weirdos sitting at it. Right. And then one of them was, like, super nice to me. And I used him as an in to, like, get into the weirdo right. bench. And, and uh-huh. then, then went to my first show and then everything else. And I found, right. found my community. How did you get into, like, punk stuff? We didn't have a bench. I mean, it wasn't that clear cut. Um, uh, next tips from my my friend's older sister, um, pretty much. I mean, I feel like everybody had, like, somebody who had a cool older sibling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, when I went to high school, there was sort of, like, 
an understanding that there was like a group of older punk kids that the younger punk kids could try to, you know, befriend. It's sort of like a junior varsity varsity situation. Okay. Okay. You were like in the minor leagues and then you went to the major leagues. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> when, and when were you in high school? 1990 to 1994. Okay. Yeah. So more or less, uh, you talk about in high school? Yeah. I graduated in 95. So pretty much okay. the same. Yeah. yeah. I went to my, I found punk rock. Like I went to my first show. I became a punk right when Kerplunk happened. Right. Yeah. So. I had my, I actually had lunch with the guy whose older brother was the cool guy. Um, who introduced me to like decline of Western civilization soundtrack and urban mm-hmm. music war Right. And the Dead Kennedys, and, you know, um, he would come back home on Friday nights when we were all over at their house and be all excited because he had just gone and, you know, I'm air quoting, slam danced to the Dead Kennedys. Uh-huh. Um, right. So definitely had that experience as well, and I, I like Josh, felt like I kind of found my people. Yeah, yeah, you know? no, that was, that was, it's an important, important part of being that age. Yeah, it's huge. So uh, talk a little bit about, you know, obviously we, we threw an intro of, of, uh, of Jawbreaker in. Um, Joshua and I have read your, your, uh, your more recent cartoon uh, mm-hmm. from, from last year from Riot Fest. Um, talk a little bit about some of your favorite bands and how maybe they influenced you going forward. Ooh, you mean like from high school on or like um, or... You mean like since since I was a kid, or like you know, or bands that I was into as a kid, and how that still like affects my life? That that those... oh, you're, you're gonna edit out the parts where I sound dumb, right? Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Okay, we do awesome. a lot of editing. We don't even have a podcast. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna have about five minutes of usable material. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that like the it because it, it was the bands, and it was also just the. Um, it was everything. Um, can you can you still hear me? Oh yeah, yeah for sure. Okay. Um, so yeah, part of it was was the bands and the music, and a lot of it was um, was the entire galaxy in which those um, bands existed. You know, like fanzines and traveling and going to record stores and like you know. Um, getting out of getting to go to like Northampton or Boston or New York or um, where were you? Um, I grew up in Manchester, Connecticut. It's uh, two towns east of Hartford. Those zines, we uh, talked about that before, but like those zines, those fanzines, they kind of like made you went one aware of like, oh, there's this whole like thing happening out there. Like, oh, for sure. I mean, it, it felt like, you know, transmissions from like this possible, you know, world. Um, I remember the, like the first, um, I remember buying my first issue. I remember buying my first issue of Maximum Rock and Roll, um, which actually turned out to be the April Fool's, um, not episode issue, um, which, you know, like, I was like, this seems kind of like, I don't, I mean, the, the, I, I, I didn't really get that it was a joke until I got like the next issue. <laughs> right. Did the cover and, say like, like Jawbreaker Signs? And you... Yeah, it was like no, but Nirvana was on the cover, so oh, yeah, yeah um, that was a that was a whole thing. Um, so you know, I, I needed a couple months to kind of like get into you know the baseline before I could go back and appreciate what I'm sure was an extremely hilarious issue of Maximum Rock and Roll. <laughs> right? Yeah, those uh, those those punk. Well, the thing about MRR too, when you get something like that, is like I felt like they were so serious most of the time. 
You right. Know, like there was always like right. serious reporting on like the scene and you know like who's doing what and politics and you know like I had friends that wrote for them. I mean, we've had a couple of people on that were were early early you know like you know writers for Maximum Rock and Roll. In fact, you know we had the guy on Walter Glasser who who, who reviewed all the tapes. You know, and right. They, I just felt like everything around Tim Yohannan was always like this serious thing. Yeah, he didn't seem like a real jokesy jokesy kind of guy. <laughs> no. uh, yeah, <laughs> never, never having met the man in in person, like that was not the impression that yeah. I got. Yeah. Um, but um, but um, as a sidebar, I was I was looking through because I mean you know they're still publishing Maximum Rock and Roll, oh, yeah. which is amazing, and they're sort of in the process of archiving everything online. I I was looking something up and ended up finding. Um, a letter from a young Gavin McInnes. What? Uh, yeah. Um, oh, so man. yeah, I <laughs> apparently he was also a douchebag in 1992. <laughs> that, that turd yeah. came up today. Actually, I just yeah. I can't like I can barely even look at the guy. Yeah, that turd has been floating around. Yep. Um, I don't know who we're talking about. Okay, so Gavin McInnes was one of the orig- the founders of Vice. Oh, no, but but now he is. Yeah, but he he was the one that really brought like the kind of faux hipster culture into Vice, like making fun of people, and and now he's one. He's the founder of the Proud Boys, so he's pretty much Uh, call it what you like. He's a white supremacist now. Yeah, um, and a total like misogynist, just a creep, you know. So um, that's funny. I'd like to actually read that letter. I'm curious as to what that turd had to say. Uh, I will send you a screenshot of it. But know that it ends with, if you want to get in touch with me, write me, Gavin, care of his mom and dad. Good. Good. That's even, we should actually just publish that thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, back to the, to the bands. I mean, I, obviously we've read your materials and specifically that cartoon refers to the Berkeley kind of North Bay uh, punk scene or the, the Bay Area punk scene, really. Yeah. And, Sorry, we were both both Joshua and I were super stoked to see the nuisance record in the background because we grew up in Santa Rosa. Yeah. So Um, so they were local guys to us. I loved that record so much. Um, So I've been working on this project, like a young adult project, sort of like set in 1992. So I've been rereading like a lot of old diaries and fanzines, um, which is. just a horrible headspace to be in like let's go let's go read my thoughts from when i was 16 that's a good way to spend my time um but like i well, how did that make you feel gross it made me feel gross like um i mean as much as big of a goober as i am now like like looking at my like the things that i thought about and said when i was like 15 16 like jesus christ what a drip um, Did you find that you were a pretty harsh critic of yourself? I mean, like younger self was a harsh critic of older self. Because I read one of my old zines recently, and he's like, "You, you know, if you if you get a job, older Josh, you're selling like I'll selling out and all this." And I'm like, "Fuck you, man!" Like, yeah. like he was so mean to me. He called me a poser. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I like that you left like time capsule burns. <laughs> I did. It was like this weird thing. I don't remember writing it, but it was like kind of to future Josh, and it was right. horrible, horrible. Oh my god, that's hilarious. Yeah. I don't, I didn't like address my my future self at all. Um, but I was, I definitely had like a lot of there. Oh man, there was a lot of like, um, 
super like twisted, tortured things about like, you know, about school and punk rock and boys and and all this stuff. And it was, yeah. (laughs) Like spare some, I did spare a paragraph for how much I loved that nuisance record. So, so there's this. It's a great Uh, record. Well, I, I think one of the things that really connected me with the writings, I mean, currently my wife is reading your book. And which book uh, mama tried and she will stop and like read things to me or have me read some of the comics in it because it's so relatable for us oh, certain things. But I think also going back to the kind of the stuff in, in, in the, 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 the kind of the mini cartoon, like more story around going to see jawbreaker at riot fest. I think, mm-hmm the relatable stuff for me was feeling even awkward sometimes in the punk scene and not really being sure where you fit in right. even that. And I'm, I'm just curious with the young adult stuff, like, is that kind of the angle you're going with? Because I, you know, if I'm, if I was to say to you, like, Hey, that would be a really good angle. Like, right. I, I mean, because there are a lot of, and I would assume, you know, I'm, I'm raising a daughter and I have a, a obviously a wife and I've had a few relationships over the years, but like that that's that time can be like extremely awkward for for women and mm-hmm. and more so maybe even in the punk scene when you're when you're feeling really nerdy and out of place anyway. Yeah, totally. Um and that is that is the angle that I'm going for um uh, with this project. Um but that was something that like and nobody really talked about it that much because like ostensibly it's like amazing because you found your people and like you are engaged in this culture that's meaningful to you in a way that maybe like nothing has been like before, but there's also just this feeling of, I mean, there's always an in out group and there's always like people who are kind of like sinister stars and there's like, and you know, and not knowing whether or not you, you belong and everything, um, is, is a weird thing. And yeah, it it didn't really get talked about that much. Like with my, with my friends, my boyfriend at the time, like it, it occupied a lot of his thinking. Um, and we talked about that a lot, but you know, um, we spent a lot of time being sad together. So, yeah, well, I think that's actually like a very natural part of that age anyway. It's, you know, like I, I actually, I, you know, there's a, there's a huge part of me even now that when I look back on that eight, that period of my life, I actually can feel sad at times where I'm like, Oh Oh, man, you know, (laughs) there was like amazing stuff that was going on, especially out here. You know, and I, I was in the sweet spot. I graduated from high school in 1988. So I went to Gilman for the first time in 88. I went to, I got to see some of the bands that were the more influential bands from the lookout era, operation Ivy and crimp shrine. And, you know, I got to see them play live and, I don't think I fully appreciated what was going on then. It's really hard to when you're 17, 18 years old. Oh yeah. But looking back on it, I like, it's a mixture of like, um, and I think that's why the, 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 um, reading the, the comic about, you know, about music that you wrote was so impactful for me as well. It's like, I don't think I ever identified missing that time as grief, you know, and Mm -hmm. also grieving that kid in me that was so like, you know, like, innocent and didn't really know what I really had in front of me. Like I, I loved going to see those bands. Don't get me wrong. It was awesome, but Mm -hmm. I don't think I fully appreciated it until I was much older. (laughs) Oh, for sure. I didn't at all. I I, am speaking. And and like to the, like this, the, I think you were sort of touching on kind of when you're coming into that scene, 
Like, I remember lots of boys and girls that I treated like shit because they weren't cool enough. Right. Uh, you know, and in my, like, chasing of of reading comic plus and all this and chasing this like scenester like idea that I wanted to be and, and to, to know, you know, no results because that's not how you are cool. But right. you know, so right. I was just this poser who was also like, it was the same as, as bullying when I was much younger, whereas like I would get bullied and then bully other people. And it was like, oh, I wanted for- to be cool. So I would treat other people like shit that I didn't think was cool. <laughs> right. Right. And the cycle continues. The cycle continues. And it's only now do I appreciate shows, and I'm 42. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So talk a little bit more about this project, because it sounds really awesome. And I, you know, again, raising a daughter, like, these are the kinds of things, like, she has all the copies of Rebel Girls, and, you know, like, these are the kinds of, of, of books and readings that I want her to, like, be able to tune into. So when she does feel awkward, she knows she's not alone. Right, good. She might be might be ready by the time she's you know old enough to read it. <laughs> um, so the basic premise of it is it's going to be like a a, a year um, a year's worth of like diary and fanzine pages from you know like the beginning of, to the end of sophomore year nineteen ninety two. Um, so we're just kind of I'm in the process of kind of figuring out exactly what that story is going to be. So it's not just kind of like a brain dump of like. Mm-hmm you know, feelings and, um, and anecdotes. Um, so yeah. And it's really hard to, especially when it starts to sort of like get into almost like a memoir kind of thing. It's, I feel like it's hard to organize that information in a way that's interesting to somebody that isn't you. Uh, so yeah. Um, I read, um, uh, the perks of being a wallflower, which kind of mm-hmm. is a similar occupies a similar space, um, which yeah, was helpful. Good. I mean, especially cause it's like epistulatory, which I think is a good way to, to write this kind of thing, like either as letters or diaries or what have you. Um, what is so, episcopal? Yeah. What, what does that mean? Epistolatory? Like, yeah. um, a, a, a novel in letters. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, um, so we'll see, we'll see how it's, it's hard. Um, because as I look at the, these things, I keep wanting to write about it as an adult, you right. know, not, not writing, um, like from a kid's perspective. Cause I mean, first of all, I feel like it's hard to write in a, in a 15 or 16 year old's voice without kind of being pandering. Right. Um, and also because like, I just have a, such obviously a completely different perspective on it now than, than I did then. That's my favorite part of your work is that you, you sometimes draw these memories and then you have adult, you kind of like, by the way, (laughs) I would never like do this now. now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's what this becomes. Maybe I got to bend the whole idea of like, you know, <laughs> trying to write in the voice of the 14 year old. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like kind of like making a fanzine. I went and like, I got a bunch of, um, of letter set. Cause there's an old, oh. there's, uh, an office supply store in downtown Brooklyn that like still has all this letter set right. and like, and he's still charging full price for it too. Yeah, of course I'm like, he is. you've had this invoice paid off since 1983, <laughs> but sure. $5 a piece. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, but I was like, you know, fronting around with like actual, you know, actual cut and actual pace, which was like super fun. Yeah, Uh, totally. I mean, some of my fondest memories, we talked about this with, with Cynthia Conley last week is being at the Kinko's cutting up like magazines and different things to create flyers. Oh my God. It's yeah. 
and just like nice. that tactile sort of experience that, you know, as much as I love the fact that I can do a lot of this on, um, on computer now and cut sort of mm-hmm. cut and paste because it's quicker. It, it's, it's definitely like a much more, um, sort of organic experience to have. Uh, it's, it gives it. you a whole different way of like interacting with what you're making. I'm going to take a little walk with you because I need to get the cord for my computer. I would love to talk about like a very specific comic strip that I, that I like that you did, if you don't mind. No, not at all. Uh, so you have a comic strip <clears throat> and it's kind of like, uh, uh, I think it's sort of about like your inner monologue or inner voice or inner doubt, but it's kind of represented by like a party version of you that talks to you behind the scenes. Uh, and the, the, the caption is like, sometimes these ghosts haunt you with everyday boring shit and you're pushing your daughter on right. a swing. Right. And then the ghost uh, says to you like, Hey, aren't you on a deadline? You know? Yeah. And yeah. then you, you say, this same bitch sits there and hums cats in the cradle when I ignore my kids so I can work. Yeah. And I love that because it cuts to that, that voice we all have. Right. And mm-hmm. it cuts to listening to that voice. You can't possibly win. Like this right. one strip, like says, no matter what you do, that ghost is going to nag at you. Yeah. And then <laughs> it ends with, or of it ends, but in a different frame, you say to the voice, look, I'm incredibly lucky and I'm grateful and I can't mess around with being somebody's mother. So will you please leave me alone? And I love that. It resonated with me so hard because lately I've been thinking about when I'm fighting with my wife or in a bad mm-hmm. mood or whatever, when I come down and I'm not upset anymore, a hundred percent of the time I can see that I was just being a little kid having a tantrum going like mm-hmm. me, 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 me. Right. And my best success about like, being an adult in those situations is I had this kind of epiphany that, oh, I need to be my own parent. Like I didn't have good parents. I need to be my parent. And when that little boy starts acting out, like, what about me? I need to say, that's not about you right now. You know? Right. Right. And I think that was why it resonated with me so much. It just, it perfectly kind of, uh, said what I was, what I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks, which is just that like, I don't have time for your childish bullshit, Josh, right now. Like, you're an adult. You have stuff to do. And I think that that's kind of amazing and also kind of ties into the show a little bit. Right. Well, it's tough, you know, like, because I feel like no matter how old you are, like, you still have to sort of battle this, like... I don't, it, is it the id that's just like the pure thing that just wants something? <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, whether or not that thing is like to not have responsibilities or like, you know, or consumer behavior, whatever that is, like, you know, it, it, it's, it's up to you to like manage it. Um, and sometimes that's, sometimes that's harder than others. Um, and yeah, I for sure like have had moments where like I'm getting pissed off about something and yeah, I'm essentially like having like a little tantrum, Uh you know? Uh Um, and I mean, I guess the point of being a grown up is being able to recognize that before you go burn your whole life down. Right. Right. Um, (laughs) you know, yes. Yeah. Cause there's this instinct like. You know, I'm sitting yep. there, my, you know, my wife and I are, are trying to have a baby and that's hard at our age. And then, mm. uh, just life, whatever, it doesn't matter, but yeah. that stuff comes up. And, and for me, uh, because of my background, I guess I go immediately to like, well, I don't need to do any of this. Like I could just yeah. 
get drunk and hop on a train and, and I romanticize yeah. the shit out of this. Well, I didn't do that when I was 20, you know, like I didn't hop on a train. When oh, I, was 20. <laughs> I know, I know. Like, yeah, all those things that I'm like, well, if I didn't have to do this and yeah. I would be doing this. I'm like, I didn't have a baby till I was 35 years old. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, what the fuck was I doing with my time? (laughs) Yeah. I think like, Oh, I will go, I'll divorce my wife and move to Brooklyn and I'll become a writer. And it's like, you don't write. (laughs) I know. I think it's interesting. I've I've actually had like the, the, like the Joshua and I playing a band together as well with a former, like a former lookout records guy from Monsula. And, Uh um, there's a hop in the way back machine. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And, um, and so I sometimes am like, oh yeah, if, if we didn't all have families and jobs, we could go on tour. And then I actually think back to touring and I'm like, touring sucks. You're in a van and it's really hot and generally the air conditioning's broken and it's always during the summer and then you end up hating everybody you play music with by the end of the tour. Can't take my cats on tour. No, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Not not taking a toddler on tour, you know, and and it's like, uh, but I have this. I had this fantasy about how awesome it was right. in my head, but if yeah. I really play the tape back and look at what it was really like, I'm yeah. like, man, that was really not that fun. That wasn't. Hey, those were not the glory she days. She says that in the strip. Yeah, there's a moment in the strip where she's like, "Wait a minute, do you remember like when we were carefree and fucked up and smoking and drinking all the time? We were like lonely. Yeah, and, and yeah, yeah." I mean, like, it's not like there were no highlights, but I mean, yeah, it's not like the day to day was just like this unending fun parade. You know, and even <laughs> some of the stuff that you remember as fun was, you know, kind of miserable at the time. Yeah. And my uh, most fun times, and especially now, because I have a lot more perspective on that, I was an asshole. Yeah. Like, right. I wasn't thinking about the people around me. I was no. having a great time, but no. 100% selfish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's you. Which, yeah, exactly. You can do that when you're, like, young and nobody's depending on you for anything yeah 35 so how did you um how'd you get into 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 doing art and specifically cartooning i mean i feel like there's so few people that are really good at it now and it's like a little bit of a you know you've definitely fallen into probably the single greatest publication for cartoons in the history (laughs) of publications i mean i used to read the new yorker just for the cartoons like that was like a thing for sure yeah, I mean, I feel like I got like the the last strand of the legacy media, like mm-hmm. uh, just just holding on as much as we can. Um, I well, I went to school for um, for illustration. I went to art school, right? Um, and I mean, like tying this back to the whole idea of punk rock, that like that yeah, there's a very direct through line to what I ended up doing with my life. To you know what I I did in the sort of, you know, sui generis media landscape of my, of my youth. Um, I never had any musical talent or inclination, um, whatsoever, but I liked, I loved like, you know, doing fan scenes and like drawing and writing and all this stuff. Um, so I kind of wanted to figure out a way to do that, um, forever. Um, and so, yeah, I went to, um, the Maryland Institute College of Art in Baltimore uh, which was awesome. I, um, um, I, I love and loved, um, Baltimore. Um, when I think about having gone to school there, I kind of think about like, I, I kind of forget that I went to school in Baltimore. I just, I'm like, Oh yeah, I lived there for four years. I'm like, Oh, right. I guess I was also in college. Um, 
And then I moved to Chicago for four years after that. And then I moved um, to New York in 2004. Um, and so basically, um, I just had day jobs um, until 2006. Um, I graduated college in 99. Um, what was your and, last, day, last like, shitty job? Um, I guess my last shitty job was waitressing, um, which was actually not that shitty. I was, I'm, I was a good waitress. Um, and I enjoyed it. Like, it's actually pretty, like, especially if you're younger and your feet don't hurt all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you hustle, you're part of a team. Like, yeah, yeah. exactly. And at the end of the day, you've got cash in your pocket and like, you know, the day is over until the next day. I shouldn't have put Um, it like that. I should have just said, what was your last like day job and on? Um, my last day job was I worked for, um, Caroline distribution, um, here in New York. So I worked at a, um, distributor um, in Chicago called Carrot Top, which was amazing. I loved that job. Um, and then I moved to New York and I started working at Caroline, which is where I met my husband. Um, and I was there for about, I think a year and a half. And then about like six months before I quit, I started, you know, I was kind of slowly building up freelance work. Um, and about six months before I quit Caroline, I started putting away all of my Caroline salary and just living off my freelance income just to make sure that that was like a pos- a plausible thing for me to be doing. Yeah. Um, and when I had like a certain amount of money saved up, I quit Caroline and I've been freelancing ever since. Wow. Did the New Yorker. So like when I, when I look at the New Yorker cartoons, to me, they look like New Yorker cartoons. It's right. not. It's not until I read them that I go, "Oh, I can." This is this is this resonates with me a lot, and uh, right. so I'm wondering, did you draw like New Yorker cartoons, and they were like, "Oh, you should come here," or did you have to change your? Did you have? To, is there a specific New York style, or is that all just your style and it's? And that's sort of like my like it's my style sort of gussied up for the New Yorker. I mean, mm-hmm. there's not exactly a house style. Um, among New Yorker cartoonists is just, you know, I mean, you know, it's going to run in black and white and you know, it's going to run in a roughly squarish, mm-hmm, you know, right. and they're going to use the same font for the, for whatever yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. I think that's what um, is really very stylistic about that. For sure. Yeah. Um, and then the longer form stuff is kind of anything goes, right. um, the, the Jawbreaker comic I actually pitched as like an online thing and kind of had no idea what I was going to do with that even. I just wanted to go to Riot Fest for free. Right. So, um, so I came up with this bullshit idea about like, I don't know, it'll be about like the music business and nostalgia. And um, he's like, well, yeah, I mean, like, I'll just get you a press pass. And like, they didn't pay for me to go to Chicago. But, you know, I'm like, yeah, fuck it. I'll go see some friends. I'll stay with my old boss, make a little trip out of it. So we went out there and I went to Riot Fest and I did not have any idea what this piece was going to be until after the show. Yeah. And then it took a couple days and then I was like, I kind of know what this needs to be now. Um, but it was very different from, from what I pitched. And then it was just going to be, um, they were just going to run it online. And when I filed it, um, the cartoon editor was like, you know, I'm going to run this by David, the um, editor, editor, and they right. wanted it for print, which was awesome. Well, um, so cool. I know. I mean, I like I don't talk to Chris and Blake that often because they don't live in San Francisco, but mm. Adam loved it. Loved that it. That makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he he actually sent it to me when it came out online mm-hmm. to read. And, you know, he doesn't really do a lot of that 
Like, right. oh, check out this thing about us. You know what I mean? Right. Like, that's not really their style. Right. Um, I will say on a personal level, having been there at that show, but also getting to see the... So, fun story. When they played the surprise show at the Ivy Room out here, mm-hmm. my wife was due to give birth that day. Ooh. And she came to the show. Nice. And I actually, I knew she liked them a lot, but I didn't know mm-hmm. how much. Right. And she was over, like... We got her set up with her own little like bar stool, and she was over there singing to every song. It was that's amazing. That's amazing. But the 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 actual coming to labor at the show. No, yeah, that's. But it's funny because when I put on Jawbreaker, my son will dance. So nice. Obviously, there's some some memory there. Your your son sluttering May Fourth. Yeah, exactly. Yes, he's sluttering. But um, I I think just that cartoon, and you know. There's obviously specific things about that band, you know, mm-hmm. we all grew up with them. Um, and But I think just the cartoon as a whole, for me, just really touched a really special part of my life, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, one of the things we really try to do here is get people to engage with our guests outside of the show if they listen to check out stuff. And I'm going to recommend that if people haven't been introduced to your work, especially old punk kids, that they mm-hmm. read that first and then look at the other stuff because – you know, unless you're, you've got like, you know, serious like coolant running through your veins. That's it's hard to not love that that uh, that cartoon. It made me. I got really really weird after I read that. But I kind of had my own things going on because I was there as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, are you, you going to give us that story? Uh I will someday on the show. Okay. But right. I will say that I that I had been not drinking for a long time, and I drank. In Chicago, and it was mm-hmm. no bueno. Yeah. No. no, and it made me <laughs> sad for like, like that was the last time I drank, and and it made me like the the, the body of that work and what it what it felt like and mourning like the the younger period in your life and and then what it's like to see everyone grown up again, and it, and it reminded me like just how many times. Like, I thought I was finally going to see Jawbreaker sober. Like, that was my whole Because right. <laughs> I used to be wasted when I saw them back in right. the day. And right. I didn't. And it was a real it was a real bummer. But you did get redemption. It did. I saw yes. them. Right. Here. Yeah. You saw them here. It was great. So. Yeah. And is going to see them again at the film. So. Well, that's something that I wondered. And I never, I never really talked to um, any of the guys in the band about this. But that... Um, <laughs> So if it's a weird responsibility to be like the repository of that much emotion for people, um, you know, like, you know, I have a lot of, you know, memories and feelings tied up with that band that don't even necessarily have anything to do with the band themselves and certainly not Mm -hmm. the people that made it, you Mm -hmm. know, but I just, I can't help feeling that like, that's gotta be, um, that's gotta be something sort of heavy to hold sometimes I would think. Can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Like, can you imagine like what Blake has to deal with? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I was joking about the me, um, doing, doing, moderating the, the, um, the documentaries this weekend on, on my Facebook. Cause some of my friends are coming and I'm like, and they're asking me what kind of questions they should ask. And I said, those that will be excluded are filibustering about the first time you saw Jawbreaker, the, what, what 24 hour revenge therapy song represents your first breakup. Or that time your band covered one of their songs. They're basically like a John Hughes film, you know, like they're, they like pretty in pink or something. Like they, they just, they, I hope, I hope 
I don't know. I don't know those guys. I've never met them. But I hope that they, like, take it as kind of just more of an era thing of, like, that they were just happening when I was happening. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. I, I feel like if you were a, a certain age and a certain inclination in certain parts of the country, it was just, like, that's that's where your heart was this big target. And that's yeah. what happened mm-hmm. to hit you there at that time. Totally. Totally. But I think as an overall piece, that cartoon really covers adolescence in a way like it's not I mean it is specifically about your experience there and kind of the feelings that you had but I will say that quite honestly I could apply that sort of the feelings that were expressed you know quite eloquently um, to a lot of other aspects of my life and be Mm -hmm. you know feel kind of the same thing and I, I think that's why you know it was it was a good read because I could connect with the actual like scene and the other stuff, but also just the, like the feelings of like, you know, getting older, having kids, like having Mm -hmm. a, having a family being more rooted and like, you know, sort of like grieving that younger me in some ways, you know, like also being willing to like say goodbye to it and say, you know what? The older me is actually way fucking cooler. Yeah. We're getting shit done. Like, it's (laughs) like, I used to think I was so good at everything when I was in my twenties, you know, and it's What's that like, <laughs> yeah, totally. I don't know, but I wasn't. And, and <laughs> in a way, like, yeah, you mourn that, that energy and time and carefreeness and indestructibleness. But there's something like for me, at least that comic, that show, like all that stuff to me kind of showed me, uh, the, there, there's something really beautiful about having perspective on that stuff and being yeah. a little older. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a very bittersweet kind of, kind of thing mm-hmm. because like, I mean, there's the whole uh, cliche of like youth being wasted on the young. Um, but it's, it's not that it's wasted. It's just, you don't know how to think about it yet. Um, right. and I've been thinking about this a lot too, because, you know, I'm, I'm realistically probably at least halfway through my life, you know? Um, so, I think one of the things about being younger is just this expansive sense of like, of this, like this buildup of kinetic energy. Like you're about to go somewhere. Things are about to happen. Um, And, you know, I mean, obviously that just, that has to change as, as you, as you get older, uh, you know, there are some sprightly folks who, like, you know, like, every day is a new, like, beginning, blah, 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 and, you know, bless them. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, like, moving to some of your, your current work, too, I, I have to say what's striking to me, and I think, so part of our goal is to really have people on that inspire us in whatever way they do so that we can share the love, I guess, because we feel like this is, both Joshua and I feel like these are pretty, can be pretty dark times. You know, mm-hmm. and you've started commenting. Obviously, we're friends on on social media, and your social media posts, I think, are more directly political at times than mm-hmm. your than your work. Um, right. However, your work is also can be quite political. It can also be quite honest around parenting, relationships, mm-hmm. sort of the dynamic between people, and how things aren't necessarily people aren't necessarily honest about what's going on, you know, and I think that's, what's been really striking, Mm -hmm. um, a chord at home with the, with the book. Right. I guess talk a little bit about your process and you don't have to get like, like, you know, artsy about it, but I mean, there, there's not, what I found is there's not a lot of, of like people that have the wit and the ability to communicate the wit in through, through illustration. So, you know, how did you land on this? I mean, this is, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing stuff. Thank you. Um, 
I I just found that um, well, in terms of of like kind of mining the more uncomfortable parts of life, like to talk about, like. Um, yeah, I did this, um, strip called Lulu eight ball for about 15 years that ran in uh, like a bunch of alt weeklies back when those were still a thing. Um, and I got some letter to the editor. Somebody's like, she always just talks about like such, you know, like bummer stuff or whatever. I'm like, yeah, but why it wouldn't be funny. Totally. If, right. Yeah. If, if, I mean, the, the basic like through line of that strip was just, you know, foibles, um, so, like, a happy, well-adjusted life is not necessarily that hilarious. Right. Um, so, and I think that, like, in general, if you, even if your life is awesome, if you're not somebody who's sort of inclined to look at things from a slightly off-kilter point of view, you're just not going to be a person who's inclined to, to make jokes. Because right. you, you, don't, you don't exist in a state of tension with the world. Um, right. And you have no need to, to relieve it. Um, but you know, for me, both by dint of, of, I guess, personal temperament and how I grew up, um, and a bunch of other things, you know, that, that necessary tension was, was always supplied. Um, and as far as becoming cartoonist, um, you know, I always, I always loved to write and I always, um, loved to draw and I just, I wanted to be able to do both as much as possible. And I, I went to school for illustration instead of writing because in, in some ways I kind of, I, I thought and still think that I am a better writer than I am an artist. And I kind of wanted to keep that more for myself. Right. Um, and now it's not that I want to keep it for myself. It's just, but I have a lot less baggage concerning my writing than I do, uh, my drawing. Right. Um, but I do like, I do like, being able to, um, to deliver jokes visually, Mm -hmm. um, you know, both in terms of like the single panel gag, um, you know, format of the New Yorker or like the sort of four beat thing that I used in Lulu eight ball and a lot in mama tried, um, or, you know, longer, longer things. Um, also don't you take this, some of this live as well? I mean, you did, Talking about band, I mean, you did open for Jawbreaker at Brooklyn Steel while they were there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was wild. <laughs> um, so I do this thing that's sort of, I guess, like a hybrid of of stand up and cartoons, where basically, like, I show cartoons and tell funny stories. Um, and I mean, I it's it's not it's not exactly straight stand up, obviously, but it's kind of a. a it's it's another sort of method to to, to deliver jokes like Carrot um, Top, just like Carrot Top. <laughs> um, yeah, can he draw? I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what he can. I gotta do. look this shit up. Um, but uh, but yeah, so um, and especially like the Brooklyn Steel show was pretty unlike anything I had I had done before in terms of um, in terms of performance. Um, but I will say that I think it was it was helpful to have some sort of visual element in a, in a room that big instead of just, you know, being alone on stage with a spotlight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I actually, that's like, I I do a fair amount of public speaking, not as much as I used to because the company that I started is a social enterprise as well. And that's Mm -hmm. sort of where I've taken my punk ethos to help my community. Um, And I think it's, I, I, I never get over that. Like, alone on a stage thing. 
you right. know, having a visual or a presentation to show is, yeah. is really like a, it's, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a crutch quite honestly. And I, oh, but I love absolutely. it. <laughs> absolutely. And I mean, you know, if that crutch can work, then that crutch can work. You know, I yeah. mean, we can't all smash watermelons. Um, <laughs> I did stand up for like four years up until last year, I think. Uh, and yeah, I could see having some props would be nice. It's hard, yeah. man. Yeah. It's hard. I Everyone that if, I, if I was in a band, like if I were a singer in a band, I would want to at least just hold a guitar. Yeah. So it would be like something in <laughs> yeah. between me and the audience. This is very relevant to me right now because we're old and started a band. And uh-huh. when I was younger, I was in bands. I had a guitar and I sang. And like right. I said, I thought I sounded great, uh, mm-hmm. but I didn't. And now that I'm older and I'm in a band again and I'm don't, I'm just the singer. Like, right. I don't even know what that, like, we haven't played a show yet. Like, I don't even know. Yeah. Am I, am I right. Mick Jagger? Like, what am I supposed to like, yeah. do up right. there, you know? Yeah. yeah. Just kind of, you know, squirm. Just squirm. Yeah. Turn um, it back on the audience. Yeah. <laughs> that always works. Yeah. That's, Michael, stipe it up. Yeah, totally. But it's a shield, you know? It's yeah, like a, it shield. a shield. So yeah. how, how, how often do you perform live? Um, a few times a month, yeah. you know, and it kind of goes, it kind of goes up and down. I have a, um, a sort of quarterly, um, parenting comedy showcase that I do with, um, Ophira Eisenberg. Awesome. Um, and, um, we, that usually goes down at a place called Union Hall in Brooklyn. Cool. Um, but we, we just did one as part of the New Yorker festival, which was that. awesome. Right. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so, um, I don't, I don't hustle after it in the way that people like, like real standups do, um, you know, like, uh, in part because I'm old and have a kid and I can't be out there every night running my mouth. Um, you mean like open mics and stuff like that or whatever? Yeah. Or like just trying to get as many spots on as many shows as possible. Like, Uh, and in part because like, you know, what I do has like an AV element. So, you know, it's like. Uh, I'm harder. I'm, I'm a harder thing to book, I think, than um, than just you know somebody who doesn't have that. But um, but yeah. yeah. Also, again, I mean, like the um, the amount of hustling that you have to do. Like like if I were like a real stand up, is um, is a lot of hustling. Yeah. Well, so you <laughs> so, you mentioned the parenting uh, act that you do. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about being a parent. Because you yeah. write about it a lot, it's part of your. Into I mean, the it. book is amazing. I'm, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hand it off to Joshua when we're done with it at home, so he can right. read it as well. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a book trader, so like when mm-hmm. we had, um, we had Martin Sprouse on, I got him a copy of Threat by Example, and I gave him a copy of Band in DC. I'm just simply, in it for the free book. Yeah, so right. I, I'm just like any guest we have that has a book. Joshua benefits from that. So, and you get another sale. Nice. <laughs> Fantastic. So, um, yeah. Um, so talk about being a parent. I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely takes up a lot of your, your, uh, your, obviously you, you utilize your experience for your creative in, mm-hmm. a, in a really, I think, super funny and real way around the things that happen. <laughs> and, um, we've had some really funny experiences as parents, you know, I mm-hmm. have with, with my, uh, with my wife and I have the, the older daughter from a previous marriage. So we've had some pretty amazing interactions over the years, but, um, right. you know, talk, Tell us about your, your, you know, just having your daughter and, you know, what that's been like for you for the past five years. Um, I mean, I mostly had her for the jokes. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) She's a, she's a pretty good source of material. Um, yeah, I I mean, I think with, as with anything that's like a really like intensive, um, 
intensive experience, like, yeah, that's, that's going to be like where most of your attention is kind of focused on. Um, especially when they're like little, little and they're completely like, you know, you dependent on you, um, in a way that like a six year old, you know, you can like leave the room, um, you know, and, and expect them not to die for the most part. Right. Um, so I, yeah, it really, in some ways, and for all my things of like, oh, well, if I didn't have to do this, then I would be able to do X, Y, Z. Um, it, I would say I'm a much better worker now than I was before I had a kid, um, you know, because I, it forces you to focus more and it forces you to get more shit done. And, you know, you have your, your time is, is circumscribed in a way that makes you, and I'm still like a shitty time manager. Like I am a terrible procrastinator. Like my process is basically 95% fucking around and 5% like, Oh fuck, I got to get the thing done. Um, (laughs) so, but before I had a kid, it was probably like more of like a 99 to 1% kind of ratio. So, you know, Baby steps. Yeah, that's great uh, to hear. Well, it'll for, it'll, it will force you to, to have a little bit of time management skills because yeah. if nothing else, you have to get them to school and, you know, like feed mm-hmm. them, right? In theory. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Listening to you on this interview, it sounds like you aren't fucking around, though, because, like, even, the, fu- even the fucking around, it sounds like you need to, like, you need to find the kernel of the thing before you can sit down and do the work anyway. Like you mm-hmm. said, it was after Riot Fest that you kind of, like, right. Oh, now I know what it is, you know? Right. So. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, and I mean, there's always sort of like a track running in my head of, of, you know, ideas or things that I'm going to try to write about or, you know, like things, things percolate. There's a whole, there's a whole compost pile, um, going in there. Does that stop um, you from being present in situations sometimes? Like if you're, sure. hanging, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and in a lot of ways, I you know, uh, I don't know if this is just just me or if this is everybody, but like there's a certain amount of like not being present at all times, no matter what I'm doing. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it, whether it's like, you know, like in that comic, like if I'm sitting down to work and I feel like I should be, be spending time with my kid or if I'm on the playground and feeling like I should be working or if I'm working on one project and I feel like I should be working on something else, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't know. I'm a Gemini. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I think that that's, that's fair to say. And also like, there's a certain amount of, because you know, you're mining your own life or experiences when things happen, like, it's not like that part of you that's like, you should write about this takes a respectful moment to shut up. Right. You know, like it's, it's kind of always, always there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I, you know, I noticed that you followed up, you, you made a post. I took note of it. I take note of certain things when people post Mm -hmm. them. Just, this is just my personality. You made a post recently that you are only going to like, uh, do your, your comic going forward about climate change. Right. And you delivered. Immediately your next comic was the silver linings one. (laughs) Right. <laughs> and, you know, I think that this ties into parenthood as well. I mean, for me, I know it's a little scary what's going on out there. A little, oh. and, I, and, I, and I say that a little because if I think about it too much, it's just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, you know, you get to that point where your just brain shuts off and you can't anymore. Oh, yeah. If I think about it, think about it, you know, I'm like, well, you know, fuck it. We may as well just be doing heroin now. Yeah. Um, 
Are you seeing my cat? We love yeah. it. Yeah, we're totally yeah. So we're, we're animal lovers. Yeah. Uh, ugh. You want a cat? She's all you. <laughs> um, um, wait, that's that's. Can I just as a non-parent, like mm-hmm. you guys are addressing something that's very uh, scary for me. I had a we had a pregnancy. Uh, I don't know how to put this. I thought my wife was pregnant and she wasn't recently. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, um, and I was I was in a cab by myself and I was the whole day. Uh, Turned out to be a false alarm, but the whole day I was very excited in a weird way. Like I thought I would mm-hmm. have a total meltdown, but I was like, you know what? Fuck right. it! I want to see what this is all about. I can. I, I, I yeah. got this. And uh, yeah. I was in the car, and the cab driver started swerving, and I had this thought. I can't die. Yeah. Like, yeah, that I'm not allowed sucks. to die anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was so, I had a panic attack and like, I was like, I can't die. Like these people, like I got to handle this, this other thing. Yeah. You've got some. And also all the for. bad people in the world have to yeah. go yeah. <laughs> away. <laughs> can we start with the president? Yeah. Yes, we can oh, start with the president. Can we please? Um, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's real. Like it really changes your whole relationship with your own mortality and with mortality in general. And like, um, Kevin, I don't know if this was your uh, experience, but the minute I had a kid, like death is never far from my mind. Yeah. Like, totally. Not like I'm worrying about it constantly, but like, I, I just, I'm always like just aware of the fact that I will die and yeah. she will die and we're all going to die. Um, yeah. and well, it, like, how do you, I mean, it's hard to really like take that in, take that in. And I think that part of the reason that I do anything at all is to try to like, it's like, it's almost like a superstition. Like I'm trying to, if I can, if I can describe it well enough, then it won't matter. It'll matter less that it won't last forever. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I, I definitely like, it's the, it's the strangest thing. It's like, Especially my, I have, my parents are a little bit older. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm 48. So, you know, do the math. I mean, even if they had me young, they'd be, you know, in their 70s. So, um, but I, um, I think about that a lot and it's, it actually has inspired me in a weird way too. Like I actually purposely try to get up to Santa Rosa with my kids, Mm -hmm. you know, to see them or have them down because I honestly barely remember what it was like to have grandparents. Like I barely remember it Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's, it's not always easy to kind of make those things happen, but I think it's done a lot to keep um, me a little closer to my family as well because Mm -hmm. of that, you know, that is a, it's a, it's pervasive too. Like I, I I think I'm not thinking about it and then I'm like, Oh my God, where's Quinn? You know, is he dying in the next room? (laughs) Like what's he doing? And it's like a, it's like a really like a taboo thing to talk about, but parents think Mm -hmm. about this stuff all the time. Oh, for sure. For you know? sure, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah. definitely. I I well, in a, if I'm being fully transparent, I thought about it a lot before I was a parent, but like <laughs> uh, more so afterwards because I feel like I'm responsible to take care of these other beings, you know. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you brought this person here without their consent. Totally. <laughs> right. um, I actually got the, my very first. I didn't ask to be born um, oh. the other day, and my. That's fair. You totally didn't. You're yeah. still gonna mop the same floor, but like... <laughs> <laughs> oh so, man, that's a great to get that over with early. Talk like... <laughs> talk a little bit about the power dynamic. I'm curious as to what it's like in your house. I I have you know my my almost ten year old. My wife would say walks all over me, um, right. and um, I'm a sucker for the 
for my daughter for sure. Yeah. Um, and my son is going to be raised uh, allegedly with more discipline, but we'll see because really? my wife is madly in love with him. So <laughs> I, I'm not positive that that's actually going to come to fruition, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's tough because you know, like, I mean, first of all, like, you know, I live in Brooklyn, so it's just, there's very there are like there's a whole constellation of like of parenting uh, philosophies, and you know, it's I when my daughter was like two, I thought it would be really helpful if every kid had to wear like a T-shirt with the title of like whatever parenting book their parent subscribed to, like like an attachment parenting person or whatever, just so you knew who you were dealing with. Um, but yeah, I, um, so my parents are both from Texas. So I have like my entire um, extended family is, is Southern. Um, and by their standards, I'm a complete pushover, but I think by Brooklyn standards, you know, I, I don't know. I might be a monster. Um, but I do think that like, you know, and I love my daughter with all my heart. Um, but I do think that, you know, kids are, are kids yeah, and totally. they need to have things like, you know, consequences and responsibilities and, you know, um, and I don't, I never had a problem with like, saying things like, because I said so. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Cause I'm the fucking grown up. <laughs> Dude, I, I am not that great at that one. I will say my wife is way better, especially with my, my daughter reminding me like, you just got to tell her you're the adult sometimes, man. You can't yeah. just like let her walk all over you. Mm. And because yeah. she'll want the thing that I'm doing. Right. Uh-huh. And it's, it's not a, it can be an extremely complicated answer. If I really think about it, like what Mm -hmm. are all the reasons that I don't want your face in an iPad for the next, you know, two hours or on my phone or whatever. And she'll say, Mm -hmm. Oh, you looked at your phone, dad. And I'm, and I'm like, well, but like my wife's always encouraging me, like just respond with, I'm the adult in the room. Like I get to do things that you don't get to do. No, but you're like me. Like, like, but then I want to, why do I need a diploma? Right. Exactly. I want to logic it out with a, with a, with a nine year old who's going to beat me at that. Like she's going to be like, well, and if you're really looking at this fairly, that's not fair, dad, you know? And, and she's like, you know, she goes to a Waldorf school, which is about as hippie as it gets. Right. You know, and so I have to like I'm trying to reason with a kid that's gonna seriously like ruin me if I if I if I have a serious debate with her and right. it's like so frustrating, right? So it's like yeah. just default it, man. Go to yeah. your I'm the adult, you're the kid. Yeah. Sorry. Because I paid for that iPad. <laughs> and yeah, and it's like, you know, especially especially if you are uh, from a milieu that encourages um questioning authority (laughs) like you know no i'm the hammer and sometimes you gotta you gotta put the hammer down yeah um but 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 you gotta put if you don't put the hammer down then you raise entitled little shits yeah that's true especially in marin county california (laughs) probably in brooklyn uh, new york as well i i'm not a parent but i kind of feel like and my wife and i argue about this all the time because she's like you like why you can tell your kid what to do, right? And I'm like, no, <laughs> do whatever you want. No, it's your life. Just wait. Yeah. Every I, whatever you're saying right now, I, I will know, guarantee I you, you're going to be the exact opposite parent. 
sure. Because I was the guy that was like, I'm going to be like the, the, the strong man of the world. And That's now right. I'm like, yeah. all right, babe, whatever you want. It's cool. Just don't cry. Please don't cry. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, like, and everything, even things that I said six months ago, well, I would never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you went this thing. But um, I don't know. My daughter told me I was me the other day. And what yeah. came out of my mouth, I don't think you want to see just how mean I can get. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm guessing there's a few judgy parents in Brooklyn too. A couple, couple few, yeah. Um, and you know, I don't beat her in public, so <laughs> <laughs> that's that's oh, my yeah. that's my big joke at home. I'm gonna, yeah, one of these days, I'm gonna have to start beating these kids. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my parents were, you know, as I said, they're southern. So, like, my sister and I had to go like cut our own switches from the backyard. Oh man. Oh. Sounds Which like, like is not a thing I can do in Brooklyn, no, uh, because I'd have to send her all the way to Prospect Park before she found an appropriate switch, and like somebody would call DCYS on me. <laughs> that's out. Um, but yeah, well, beyond uh, beyond that, like you know, if you probably like grab your kid's wrist too hard in Brooklyn, you're going to get the cops called on you. You know, yeah, come this way. I'm not going that way. <laughs> you know, like oh god, are you abusing your child? And everyone's yes. looking at you. I'm only abusing her emotionally. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I mean, I think actually the term helicopter parents started in Marin County out here. Right. right. It, it's insane. Like, I, we, we live down the street from this, like, completely organic food place. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I don't even want to bring the kids in when they're having a fit because I don't want everybody staring at me. It's, like, more right. like, like uh, sort of, like, personal ego survival than it is actually, like, whether I really care. You know, like I just, you know, and I've never like, you know, my kids have tantrums, you know, (laughs) what am I going to do? You know, they're not, they're certainly not perfectly behaved. As do we. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, it's it's so funny because it's like, who you were joking about the anti-authoritarian thing. It's like my, my nine-year-old is really getting it now. Like, you know, I, I, I printed shirts that that say fight this regime on them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's not like, like, oh yeah you know, dad with the, with the shaved head and tattoos is going to be telling me what to do. Right. Right, You know, who's basically walking around with a middle finger to society. Um, yeah. He's like the man, dad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, and then, you know, and then like after the, which I I want, I really want to refer to this because you had a really great post about this and it really, this was like one of the things I was like, I got to ask Emily to come on the show. Um, when, when Beto O'Rourke, uh, made the clash reference in his right. debate with, with Ted Cruz. And yeah. I think you posted something around about like mammalian punks spit out their coffee and then swooned. Oh yeah. Right. yeah. And I was like, that was exactly one, my reaction Two, like we spent the entire weekend listening to listening to London calling after that. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like beating these like anti-authoritarian messages into my kids' heads. Yet I'm like telling them not to cry in public. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, it's tough because there's a line between like a healthy um, skepticism of of institutions and being a, a decent human being yeah. who mm. thinks about other people. Yeah. Um, and I certainly don't pretend to have like found that magic line in terms of like you know how to how to teach my daughter to be decent. But right. I say that like. Um, oh, did I jump? Sorry. I will say that, um, you know, like manners are important to yeah. me. 
you know, um, not because I want to like people to think I'm such an awesome mom, but because that's how you show respect to other human beings. You know, you say please and thank you and you hold doors for people because it reminds you that there are other people in the world. Um, and it, and it makes you a more pleasant person to be around. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's, that's important. Um, so yeah, that certainly doesn't translate to, um, you know, blind respect for authority. And I think people, some people, it's easy to mistake the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think that the anti-authority thing, you know, you know, when I think about it, I think, oh, I'm this anti-authority figure. I was like questioning everything. Why am I doing this? What's up with school? All these people are liars. Mm. Cause they were like, my parents were shitty and like (laughs) everything I thought was true. But now I have that perspective. But if I have a child, I'm not shitty and I'll be honest with them. And so like, they don't have to have that, you know, like like, they don't have to have what I have because they're growing up under different circumstances than me. I do sometimes worry that I'm robbing her of an unhappy childhood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what though? She's not going to be an artist. Let let me just, well, maybe, maybe not. Let me, I want to share this. This is, you know, and I'm pretty transparent about my life. Like I've got a million things going on. I, I overcommit. I, you know, and so the last, few months I got back into therapy and Mm -hmm. one of the things that we're working on is that 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 like the raising the kids thing and you know I had we we talked about this today actually and I think it's really interesting like you know the fact is that our kids and our friends kids and the people that were sort of our village whatever that Mm -hmm. is don't need to grow up with the harsh kind of discipline and because you know, really, like, if we understand that that isn't a working situation or that isn't, like, the best rate, way to raise your kids, we get mm-hmm. to allow them the freedom to actually enjoy their childhood and feel safe and supported. Right. You know? And right. I, th- this is not disparaging anyone's parents or yeah. mine by any yeah. stretch of the imagination. I'm it's just okay. like... I'll, I'll disparage my parents. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I just think it's, like, it's it's really important to, like understand that we have, especially those of us that, that sort of grew up feeling like we were outsiders and feeling Mm -hmm. like we were looking to find this community, which many of us did find where people understood us, um, Mm -hmm. that we get to do it different, you know, and not meaning that's necessarily better. I think it's better. Mm -hmm. I want my kid to feel supported and loved. I want him, especially my son to be sensitive and to understand what things like consent mean and to understand that this is a world of multiple people from multiple cultures that Mm -hmm. may need like to be talked to in different ways and polite to us might be different than polite to them and to have respect for those things, you know, and I, you know, growing up as a punk kid, you know, I will say that many of those values, especially with the group of people that I hung out with, were naturally instilled in us because we were striving for a little bit better world. Oh, yeah. And, you know, um, a friend of mine, like, put it, I think, perfectly um, uh, saying that, like, that hippies were mean people pretending to be nice and punks were nice people pretending to be mean. Oh, jeez. Um, totally. So that was, like, the, mo- the best, like, the, the most succinct way of, like, of, of putting that um, ever. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's something, too, is that there was an essential, like, you know, kindness, I think, running through... Uh, running through the punk community that like it it was a bunch of fundamentally decent people you know not across the board but like um but 
I, I think that the, the, the ethos supported that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. Like at, you know, at times, sometimes when I think like, well, you know, like, what is she going to have to like, you know, if she doesn't hate me, what is she going to make art about? But then, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Tabby Edmondson seems to have liked her parents and she was famous by the time she was like 12. So well, yeah, it's all bullshit, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like there's plenty of healthy, successful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think we tend, we I mean, tend I'm just saying this so I don't feel gypped, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think we tend to like sort of take our experience, especially when we're being creative as the only one too, you know, and like, totally. yeah. I, you know, I, I don't, my, you know, my daughter, does she dances she does ballet she she's learning harp and i know um and piano and she loves it and she's super creative you know yeah. she's making up her own songs and she's not yeah. you know what i mean yeah. oh so, for sure yeah um, my my lyrics when i was writing lyrics and singing for bands were much more angsty and angry and mm-hmm. what'd you do to me kind of thing and right you know and the fact of the matter is i i would actually trade in some of that victim sort of mentality that i've had over the years for some right. just like happy you know yeah. carefree safe feeling supported memories you know right so, I yeah mean, Grass no. is always greener. The grass is always <laughs> greener. Um, I think we're coming up on yeah. our time here. I saw you had a couple of things coming up. Yeah. You talked about one of them. Do you want to talk about any shows coming up? And we'll try to get this up fast so that people listening, if they're in your area, can go. Um, sure. Yeah. I'm, we're doing a shit show on November 2nd um, at Union Hall. Um, shit show is the name of the parenting-themed um, comedy night. Um, <laughs> and... And that one is actually in conjunction with a festival called Reimagine that is uh, is about death. So this is a shit show, the death edition, um, awesome. which should be real fucked up. Um, so there is that. how do I choose between saying fuck and effing? Good question. I don't know. It's just sort of on the fly, I guess. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt I, you. Like, not at all. Um, and uh, although, as a sidebar, my kid like gets really upset with me when I use grown up words, you know, mm. just and yeah, I've never really censored myself around her, and now I've just got this little snitch. Um, <laughs> but and on November twentieth, um, I do, I just started um, a show called Nightmares um, that is um, a co-host and myself talking to people uh, about their worst dreams um, and like just you know talking about it, drawing them, etc. Dreams um, like you sleep or dreams like your hopes and dreams. Dreams like you like your ho- like you sleep like okay. your worst wow. like actual actual nightmare. Um, and yeah, so that is going down at the KGB Red Room on November 20th. Um, Kate Willette is my co-host. Awesome. Oh, shit. I used to do comedy with her. Yeah. Oh, yes. She's great. Yeah. yeah. She's, she's awesome. Um, I've met her. And... She's going to be out here at the Jawbreaker shows next week. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, tell, tell her I say hi. Excellent. Yeah. I didn't know you, you two work together. That's amazing. We haven't actually. The show oh, just started. Um, and so we, um, I had the first night of it. She actually got into Big Sky Comedy Festival, so the first night I had like a guest co-host. Um, mm-hmm. But we we haven't actually like worked together on anything. Um, so our first like actual night will be the second the second night of the show, but the first time we've actually done it together. So great. Um, so yeah, we'll see so how it goes. Are you going to do any follow ups to Mama Tried, or are you going to stick with the next project around young adult stuff? Um, I gotta see if I can make that project work. Um, although also I feel like my daughter's getting too, 
an age where if I if I pull too much from her life, I'm just like mm. stealing. Yeah, yeah. You can read now. Yeah, <laughs> like, totally. Like once you can read and write, you gotta let them write their own stories or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So sweet. So I do have one quick question before we wrap it up. So yeah. when you talked about your journals, mm-hmm. have you ever done Mortified? I haven't. I would love to, man. That would be. Uh, I've got got a lot of material. Yeah. I would, I would definitely love to see that show. I've been to a bunch of the Mortifieds here. I've got mm-hmm. a really good friend that does them regularly and travels and does them in other cities. Yeah. Um, and just talking to you, I, you know, again, just kind of my, my side thoughts, like you would be a fantastic person to be on uh-huh. Mortified. I think you would crush. Kevin's a super <laughs> connector. Yeah. Nice. So. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, set it up. I will I... definitely connect you with the people that I know that do the show. Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> it is so nice meeting you. This is rad. This is my favorite one. Yeah. I, I, I was I was just going through and I and the, the strips resonated with me so hard and you're Yay. so talented and uh like really even that Facebook post about Beta O'Rourke yeah. was like there's an action in it. Like you're like spit out <laughs> your coffee, right? Yeah. It's just, you're such a good writer. I just I oh, thank I'm you. Just very happy that yeah. you came on. We yeah, oh. it's it's been great. I am too. And um you know, we'll probably so we're we're sort of like strangely we we didn't mean to do this, but we're going into like Jawbreaker week because I'm I'm doing the nice. the the moderating for the for the movie, and then they're playing three shows, and we're trying to get Blake and Chris on while they're here. So nice, um, yeah, exactly. So we'll see. Right. Adam's trying to set that up. He's like, you can record me anytime. Get them. And, uh, you know, so, you know, we'll, we'll have some theme running through the next few episodes. It sounds like, but you know, I mean, it, it's, it's really all sort of connected to the same thing. Like we all grew up as in this really sort of, in some ways like disconnected yet protected community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm really like, it's just been great talking to you about this stuff. So we really appreciate having you on. No, likewise. This was so much fun. Yeah. It was awesome to meet you guys. Thanks. Uh, yeah, maybe you could come on again after your thing comes out, the, yeah. the next project. Uh, yeah, so I'll see you guys in like six years. So we're, sure. we're now, we're now going to be like the ones like constantly posting on your Facebook page, like, what's the progress? <laughs> please do it. I need that. I need, like, yeah, I respond well to pressure. Good. So good, please. Good. All right. And I'll, I'll definitely let us know if you're ever in San Francisco and we will do the same if we're ever in New York. Please do. Absolutely. All right. And thanks to everyone out there listening and we'll catch you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.